All right, it is time for the John Riggins Show. We are definitely in the lazy, hazy, crazy, hot as hell days of summer, John. We all got a little cocky about a week ago. It felt good out there. The cicadas were gone. But the temperature is back in rare form. And, you know, they're going to play some football tomorrow night. So here's Rigo. All righty, Todd. Uh, yeah, you know, since we last did a podcast, I believe I have turned 72 years old. You sure have. You sure have. Up. Nothing good about that. I, the reason I brought it up was I wanted to make the comment. A good friend of mine who used to be the, uh, he was a free safety and punt returner for the New York Jets, Chris Ferrisopoulos. And I, he... Uh, contact me on my birthday, wish me happy birthday. <clears throat> and I told him, I said, I can remember seeing pictures of my father, and I remember his dad as well. I met him years ago. He grew up in Torrance, California. Um, that when I first got into the league, my dad was what, in his early 50s, I would guess, 71. Yeah, he was probably 54, 55 years old. And I remember photographs of him. I remember one particular when we were down in the Blue River with my brothers launching a boat. And he would have been about 56 or 57. And that picture is still in my mind. And what's interesting is that he looked old in that <laughs> photograph at 56 or 57. I'm now 72. Uh, it's kind of hard to put that right? stuff together. You know what I'm saying? Right. So right. I'm thinking, well, he maybe he just looked old. <laughs> maybe <laughs> that generation of people were more somber or whatever. And so they... They acted old, made you think they were old. I don't know. But I don't feel as old as he looked, and yet I'm, what, 14 years? Yeah, around well, 14 years. We always years remember our parents as always being old. And people in the town you grow up in, you know, somebody that was 70 years old in Centralia. You were ancient. Oh, it was, it was, it was just, it was like this. <laughs> Any moment now, somebody's going to have to call Louis Hayes, who was... <laughs> now you feel, hey, hey, Louis, pretty good. Louis was the uh, was the uh, funeral director in Centralia. <laughs> Any minute now, he's over 70, he could go. If Louis came a-calling. Yeah, so anyway, I had that. Oh, and, and this weekend, I had the very fortunate, was able to uh, uh, go out and visit with uh, Robert Duvall. Not that I was part of a deal with the Special Forces that they have a charity. And Robert Duvall, bless his heart, at age 90, was able to have all these guests. When I say all, there's about, I don't know, maybe a little bit less than a dozen people out there. He had a dinner for everybody. And it was, you know, he's got a great place out in the... The Plains? Yeah, I don't guess I'm not. I'm not going to say. Actually, I couldn't find it. I don't think I could if he had me. You know, go again. Although I do have the direction, but I didn't want to give away his his uh, his ten twenty, as the truck drivers say. But yeah, I mean, this guy he's a, he's a classic, really. I have another good friend of mine who sent me this hat on my birthday. By the way, his name is Tom Spitznagel, and he, I mean, it's kind of interesting because Robert Duvall is is any man. You know what I mean? It's just like the characters he plays. He really is that guy. Uh, the, I, the, Ameri the American any man, yeah. He is. That's I mean, a great you know, way to he's, put it. He's, he's not aloof. He's not standing. He's very down to earth, tells you what's on his mind. What you see is what you get. Tom Spitznagel, this friend of mine, met him about 25, 30 years ago in Scotland. He was over there with some of his friends playing golf. And, uh, uh, well, I guess I should say Bob because uh, I was calling him Mr. Duvall, and he goes, call me Bob. It's Bob. So I call him Bob. Actually, somebody else was calling him Bobby. I said, I don't think I'm there yet. <laughs> I think his wife calls him Bobby. But anyway, so he met him in the in the and he went up and just because he was enamored with Lonesome Dove, where he played Gus McCall, who was one of the two partners in the cattle operation that when they drove those cattle in Montana. 
by the way, great book. It's a very good read uh, if you want to get break that back out. But he said he was just the same guy. I mean, very approachable. Now, the rumors are on his co-star in that, Tommy Lee Jones, not so much. Oh. He, Tommy Lee Jones got a little bit of an edge. The, uh, the, the mini the mini Rigo? <laughs> the mini Rigo. Makes sense, too. Anyway. I, I challenge people to take the, uh, the, the Tommy Lee Jones Rigo voice test. Maybe we'll do that one day, and you pick out who is who, because there are certain movies that he is in, your voices are indistinguishable. You know, it's funny you should say that. It's First of all, uh, at the, at the uh, dinner on Saturday night, one of the guests came up and said, you know, you sound like Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> so I, I've just recently heard it. I get it quite a bit. Haven't heard, that was the first time I'd heard it in quite some time. But to give you an example, I'd always go, Oh, whatever, you know, like, okay. And then people say, and I think it's the voice they start telling you, you look like Tommy Lee Jones, you know? So like, you're, certain you're, things, you're, like in the fugitives, like, all right, we need a perimeter in eight miles, I mean, outhouse, chicken house, barn house. Exactly. Well, <laughs> the movie uh, Natural Born Killers with Woody Harrelson and Juliette Lewis, I think she was the, the other co-star in that, there was a soundtrack to that. And Robert Downey Jr. was, it was in it as well, and he played the warden in this prison. And so Tommy, or, or I, I got that wrong. Robert Downey Jr.? Robert Downey Jr. was the reporter okay. that was reporting, and and uh, Tommy Lee Jones was the warden yeah. in this prison. So you, I don't even remember people, mate, that go back far enough when I was uh, living in a warehouse out in Chantilly. <laughs> so one night, you know, I'd had about, you know, four or five or six or a dozen beers. I don't remember how many. But I had enough to where my mind wasn't like in a normal state, you might say. So I'm playing the soundtrack from Natural Born Killers. And in that soundtrack, all of a sudden, you hear they start talking because there's a, the prison scene where they're walking through the prison and Tommy Lee Jones is talking to Robert Downey Jr. And I'm going to tell you something, Todd. He starts talking, and I don't know. It was just the fact that my brain was, you know, with the, was twisted enough by the alcohol. Were you channeling him? I, I was done. I'm going, oh my God, that is right. People tell me I sound like this, but then I say, well, actually, he sounds like me, because I was on the scene first. Nobody knew who Tommy Lee Jones was no, that's true. before they knew who John Riggins was. That's true. John Riggins was on the beat in 71. Tommy Lee Jones came much later. There you go. I don't now, know, much now, later, but now, he was definitely... I, I got to ask you, so Robert Duvall... Bob, some mm-hmm. guys called him Bobby. What did he call you? Hey, Rigo. Or did you say, I'd like to be called the Diesel or El Rigo? Or what? If you say that again, <laughs> you have to leave. No, not you. He was telling that. I don't remember. I just think he just commented what I have to say. But you know, one thing I forgot to ask him, and he might have known this only because he worked with some of these directors. And, and, and I, I was going to tell him and get his opinion on it. But in 1973 is when I had the Mohawk haircut. And I think later that year, or later the next year, '74. I got to look this up. I got a feeling Robert De Niro stole that taxi driver. Taxi driver. Taxi I think he's driver. I've always wondered what. I was curious to see what if he would have it said. I have no break. idea. That was about a year or two after, right? Yeah, something like that. I mean, it was, it was right there about that same <laughs> that time. That would make a lot of sense. Well, let's face it. I was big in New York at that time because there, the Daily News loved me. There was pictures of me all the time with a mohawk <laughs> on the back page, you know, the big, the big back page or whatever. Yeah, yeah they liked it. So, 
Anyway, and he's a New York guy, but yeah, it was a good. It was a good weekend. Had had a lot of fun out at his place. Much respect for Robert De Niro. Uh, uh, Robert De Niro for Robert Duvall. Bobby Duvall. Yes. I can't think of anything bad that he's been in. I, you know, it's just, he's just one of those guys that he's that good, in my opinion. Not only that, he's a heck of a singer and and, and uh, guitar player. You know, what? I, we just watched it last night. There, he got an Academy Award for the movie Tender Mercies about a country western singer who oh. overcomes alcoholism and you know, in in a divorce, and then he finally finds a woman with a son, and you know he plays that guy. But he got an Academy Award for that, and I watched it last night, and he sings all of his own songs in this thing. I didn't know that when we went out to to visit with him. Uh, you know that he had been, but when I was curious to know, because I knew he'd got an Academy Award, but I didn't know what it was for. And I looked it up, and it was that so movie. I back in nineteen eighty two, I think it was or eighty four. Yeah, I, I remember, but I have I have not seen that movie. And then I just kind of having not seen it, and then not understanding that you know a lot of times it's a stunt double or it's you know it's yeah. post production. No, no, he did all. So he, he did, did it all, right? Yeah, and you know wow. what's interesting, and I can't remember. I I'm pretty sure I remember the character, but I think Jeff Bridges. Won the Academy Award about seven, eight, nine years ago. A very similar part. His character was named Bad Blake or something like that. Do you remember this with Do Maggie Geigendahl or whatever? Gyllenhaal? Yeah, that that uh, he played a country western singer who was down, who was an alcoholic, and so it's it's the same, basically the same role. It's funny how Academy Awards go a lot of times also to impersonations. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, I don't get it. You know, they go, oh, well, you know, you can go right through it. I think Jamie Foxx, well, he impersonated uh, Ray Charles. Ray Charles, he got an Academy Award. Um, the, the South African actress, Phil. Uh, Charlize Theron. She got it for impersonating the uh, serial murderer woman, obviously. And that was basically all due to the makeup people. Sure. You know, because they. Uh, then you had Rain Man. Oh, and he was actually Dustin Hoffman and Tom yeah, but, Cruise. And there's a, oh, I know, Forrest Whitaker. He got an Academy Award for impersonating who? Edie Amin. Edie Amin, the yes. Last King, Big Dada. The last king of, yeah, the last king of Scotland. But and I think there's a couple more. In the immortal words of Robert Downey Jr. Who cares? No, never go full retard. <laughs> never what? Never go full retard when he that, was. <laughs> there you go. Never go full retard. What was it? What? Something thunder. Tropic, tropic Tro- thunder. Tropic thunder. A movie that still makes you laugh, no matter how. That's many right times up there with Caddyshack. It. It, it is. You know where you go, you just ain't expecting what you're going to see. There's in so that many movie. one-liners and simple Jack with Ben Stiller. <laughs> and Ben Stiller just by looking at Ben Stiller, you can break up laughing before he says a word. They are funny Good stuff. guys. I'm glad you had a great weekend celebrating yeah. the 72nd birthday. Yes. And you know, well, let's go ahead. Well, let's. I, I've got one thing we're going to get into because it's about beer, and let's face it. Let's get into some beer. Let's face it. You're in the beer hall of fame too. Okay, you're you're your first ballot. <laughs> there's there's no denying you're in a couple of hall of fame. I should be, and the reason I say that is I'm 50 percent check. <laughs> Have you checked the last time to see see exactly what the beer consumption around the world, how it goes? Oh, the per capita, you guys dominate. I mean, it's like checks, uh, 150 liters per year per per capita. And then I think the next runner-up is like Austria or it's not Germany. I don't know. It could be Ireland. They're like 99. We're talking about 50% more than anybody else. 
I mean, checks wake up. They drink low alcohol beer, though. I did a little yeah. research on yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, that, that they, would They're make not sense. knocking back the uh, IPAs. They, the, they go with their... <laughs> They go with the four, but, yeah, but the gross again, domestic product is way. Would be but then way again, bad. if you go with low alcohol all day as opposed to IP, you know, strong. Right. Beer at the end. If you're putting it on your Cheerios, you might have a you might have an issue. And I'm sure they do. All right, we're going to throw a chart up here. Okay. So Rigo, I think this is not necessarily by coincidence because we did miss this. But do you realize that the first Friday of August is International Beer Day? Which, yeah. Right around your birthday, so I just think the stars are aligned here. Hall of Fame weekend. The and, Hall of Fame and, weekend. And what you said, National? International Beer Day. International Beer International Day. Beer. So we missed it on Friday, August 6th here. So in our little slide up here, mm -hmm. uh, here's what is amazing. How many craft breweries do you think are in America right now? Because we've seen the explosion here in the last 10 years, five in particular. And, uh, As I was following this, and it goes back about what eight or nine years, there yep. was like there was like a couple thousand, and then you know you'd read it the next year there was over three thousand. I believe it got up to a point where there was close to five thousand breweries in the United States. And you know, eight thousand seven hundred and sixty-four last year craft breweries. See, I haven't checked it in so long. Produced. And they produced 23 million barrels of beer in 2020. Now, this is the craft brewers. The craft brewers. Not the big boys. Not the big boys. But to show you how big the big boys are, that uh, AB InBev, which right. is the largest, mm -hmm. they produce nearly 17 times that than all the craft beers. AB and Bev, just the one big boy, 17 times more than the craft brewers in of themselves. The 8,000 craft brewers. Yep. Although so, there's a lot of brands underneath. And so as the, the, the big boys are gobbling up the, the popular ones that come up, you know, from a devil's backbone to, mm -hmm. you know, some of, the, some of the bigger ones you used to know from Sierra Nevada that started out similarly in nature. Yeah. But the other, the other point of this in this particular slide is, so the, the, the beer output from AB InBev, they dominated 25.7% of the marketplace. And that's your Budweiser, your Corona, your Bax, your Stella Artois, um, Bush, and Modelo. Then next up is, is Heineken at 12.2%. And uh, some of the different brands, Carlsberg and China Resources, followed by Miller Coors, only 4.6%. That's interesting, isn't it? Right, and they've got Fosters, and then Qingtao, uh, which is a, a a good Chinese beer. I've al mm -hmm. I've always enjoyed that beer. But it's fascinating that even amongst the big boys, that how they still dominate, and in this crowded marketplace of great news is beer, beer production, and uh, you know you like to see. I'm always rooting for the little guys and the microbreweries around here that we support. Right, but you know what's weird. Is for that I don't know maybe that you would think then maybe that Americans would be a little bit higher up on the uh, uh, you know the per the capita beer consumption but I suppose a lot of this is well the Stella Trois I'm guessing is comes from what Belgian that where it is that a Belgian uh, beer I believe that is correct John so that's an import but at the same time like take the beer that I drink now uh, uh, Pilsner Urquell. Czech Republic, it, you know, that's they're the ones that originally started the Pilsner style of lager. 
and uh, they've completely changed everything that they've done. But everybody's got, you know, their market is Europe for the most part. Mm -hmm. they, they don't mess with the United States. I forget. It's I tell less you what, about 15 years ago, they made a push into this country, and they actually did some advertising with us on my, some of my old radio stations here, and they had a significant campaign to introduce it to here. Because, uh, yeah, I've always enjoyed that beer. Well, they made some changes, too. A, they started well, the, years ago when they first came, when this beer came here, and that's one of the things I noticed. And Heineken is still like that, I think. You know how you talk about how beer gets a skunky flavor to right. it? Right. And a little bit of that may have to do with the fact that the old Pilsner Kell was in green bottles. Mm -hmm. Heineken is in a green bottle. Well, Sun obviously has an effect on wine, beer, and that's why the bottles a lot of times are clouded, like green bottles and so what. But uh, Pilsner Kell went to a brown bottle, which is more effective against getting, and that's that what kind of deterioration. On. And the other part was that they started shipping the beer cold. In other mm. words, keeping it cold. That's one. And Coors, if I'm not mistaken, one of their things is their beer is never, is supposedly, except when it gets sets, sets out on your rack, you know, I guess it'd have to be their keg beer, but then maybe everybody's keg beer is kept cold the whole time. That's the secret. The better quality of the beer, the quality in a beer, what my understanding is, and I'm not a beer expert, so I probably shouldn't even say it. I think it, you are. has to do with the freshness of the beer. Mm -hmm. The fresher the beer, the better, the higher quality, and that depends on what you put into it. But yeah, that's pretty interesting. So we, the beer uh, International Beer Day passed us by. I got to remember—is it on the same day every year? It's the first Friday, first Friday. Of, of August. So you got to figure it's always going to be right around your birthday. So note to I gotta self, look this up. exactly. I note to self, then we'll have a special next time. We'll have some 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 beverages here. Maybe we'll do a, a live on-air uh, sampling, yeah. if you will. Of yeah, because man, that check bar. You've got some hell of a lagers and some of the Czechoslovakian beers yeah. and the European, European beers. So uh, can't go wrong with the beers. No. All right, John. Hard to believe here in the uh, dog days of summer slash August here. Washington football team back at it. Yeah. First game tomorrow night at Gillette Stadium against the New England Patriots. Seven thirty. Woohoo! You excited? Well. I didn't give it a hee-haw, hee-haw. Mine maybe, was maybe a hee-haw, hee-haw. <laughs> All right, Eeyore. <laughs> well, it's kind of like this. Actually, and it's, it's, it was true years ago, once again, the preseason means nothing, and I still, for the life of me, and maybe I don't get it that there are still those coaches but I think it's just PR that they put out. I don't think anybody believes it, that the games mean anything. It's, it's just like a practice. I mean, more so nowadays than ever before, I think, to try to take any meaning away from a priest, other than to watch a guy play, and particularly younger players, or maybe an older player who you're thinking, oh, I don't know. They still have any gas left in the tank. Exactly. Other than that, that's all it is. Everybody's out there scrambling, trying to keep, trying to get a job. It, is it, is it, well, kind of akin to the sound effects you just made to find out who the donkeys are versus the thoroughbreds. Mm -hmm. Who may be good for it, especially the younger players, uh, to, to figure out is, is the speed of the game? Is it? I've always, by the way, you bring up something kind of interesting. Now, defensively speaking, and nowadays I'm sure it's, a, it's so much more sophisticated than, when, than in times gone by, but it always seems like an offense has got a little bit more sophisticated nomenclature 
or there's more of it than, say, defense. I don't know that for a fact because I've never played defense, and I'm sure they've got a bunch of, you know, JP5 words that they use all the time and different coverages and all this stuff. And four, so four, it's plenty Mondo. complicated. But the speed of the game I don't really think has anything to do with foot speed. I've never – and it does in a way, but I've always thought it's like, particularly for somebody on offense, it really is get, – it's getting out of your head – and it's almost like acting and just reacting out on a football field. And when when you get to that level, then the speed of the game, because like anything else, when you're thinking, like like they say, if you're in your head, you're a half step behind everybody. Mm-hmm. And just and so to me, I've always thought that's what the speed of the game was. But then again, I was a world class sprinter, so I wouldn't know. I wouldn't. <laughs> I might have been. No, I couldn't. Well, maybe. I don't know. I'm going to hang on to that one. You pretty much were. But you've always talked about the difference between, I mean, you can't even imagine, exhibition preseason games versus regular season games versus playoffs versus Super Bowls and how you have always lamented the unbelievable differences through all of those. Yeah, exactly. And and, and that's exactly – you bring up a very good point because – it really got, and as you play the game and if you play it long enough, and I swear, I swear, somebody like Tom Brady, I am, I don't know what to make of his mental outlook. When I say that for him to want to keep doing this at his age, unfortunately for him, though, he's been in a position where, and maybe that's the key, is that he has been in the ultimate game so often that he goes to camp thinking, hey, why not another time? Why not another MVP in the Super He's Bowl? pushing boundaries, John. There's no, there, I mean, he is pushing boundaries for I mean, a guy it's winning unprecedented. At, at, at this age. And you talk about, you know, we were talking about age at the beginning of this. <laughs> I mean, he was never this phenomenal athlete where we're sitting back no, and going, oh, he lost his arm strength and he can't run anymore, he can't do this. Well, he never could run. <laughs> right, it's all up here, right? Well, that the part that's up here is how he how he is how he can continue to convince himself that this is really important, my life's work, and it's you know that's the, I want to do it. <laughs> yes, I mean I'm going after a while. Well, let, let me back that up because you just went through, you know, exhibition games and the regular season and then the playoffs. I found at the tail end of my career. It really was. I mean, the regulars. Once we got to a Super Bowl and won it that in in, in two or in 1983, it was after that. It was like pff, regular season. <laughs> you know, a Cowboys occasionally national te- televised game. I mean, that I think that's what performers, and that's what I consider myself more than a football player. You you like the attention. You want as big a crowd watching as you can because you you feed off that energy. That's what gives you the goosebumps and and takes you to the next level. But I mean, and it finally got to where it, it like I said, my last couple of years, it was the, the regular season games. Was like, uh, we got to get through this. They had turned into exhibition games right. in, a, in a weird sort of way. Right. So the, all you want to do is play in the postseason. Now, if you could play in the postseason constantly, which is not realistic. That'd be a different situation where you had that kind of attention and and the whole football world is now only watching a a handful of games week to week. So, yeah, I just don't, you know. And the the other part of this is, from from my take on it, and I was telling this to some of the guests out at uh, Robert Duvall's house, uh, on, you know, I got to a point which was neither good nor bad, I guess, where on the one hand, I looked at it, the coaches, and I actually knew from enough experience of playing 
running back in the NFL, there was nobody who was going to tell me. I mean, if there was a, I knew the screw up before anybody was going to point it out. I knew it in my head the moment it happened on the football field. He didn't need to tell me, hey, uh, what would you know? Or, or I ran past a hole where you know I could have gotten a whole hell of a lot more yards. I already knew it. So I was in a unique position, and I think the running back position, from my perspective, is like that. There, it can't really be coached. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think there there are some things. I guess you know maybe Mike Shanahan's theory of what is it, like one two steps and cut or whatever it was. I forget. His offense is designed this way that you have to make a break. I have no idea. I never played in anything like that. Nobody ever told me. But I always figured it's basically when they hand you the ball, make something happen. That was. You know, the, no matter what they did, defenses are doing stuff, and this is what we're going to do. You see this 56 front or whatever it is, this is the way we're going to block. And I go, yeah, okay, whatever you say. Well, it's vision and read and react, right? Exactly. And it's improvisation. Exactly. It's all improv. Because every play, yeah. you don't know what's coming at you. Who and did so, their job? <laughs> who did it incredibly? And who yeah. failed? Yeah, and that's what it got down to, at least for me. And I, I've always been curious to ask other running backs. I never do when I see them, but I never see them that often. If that, but I don't. I'm not sure that everybody had that same approach. Of course, that's the approach of a guy who isn't real <laughs> ambitious either. <laughs> I'm not lazy. I'm just not ambitious. I'm thinking I don't need to do all the cram all this stuff. And I don't want to have that in my head. I don't want to be thinking. Just give me the ball. I'll do something. I mean, you know, that was kind of. But so it made everything else that you were a part of a machine. I've always thought this too, because you know now you got me talking about this. As far as coaching goes, I don't know where. I'm sure there must be there there must be a, a point for a coach. There's good coaches, and there's not so good coaches, right? But to me, I've never really relied on a coach to do anything. I I go I went into a game knowing what my job was and knowing that I had to do it. It, it like a, a smart part, if you will, like a smartphone. You know, you put a carburetor, carburetor they don't have anymore. Fuel injection is what it is now. No more carburetor. <laughs> dating myself. But, you know, whatever it may be, the transmission, every, you know, it's like our bodies, everything. Everything's got a specific purpose. I was a running back. I knew what my specific purpose was. You didn't have to tell me anything. You didn't have to show me anything. I knew at some point what to do and how to do it. And, you know, if you don't, if I'm not doing it good enough, obviously, you're going to get somebody else anyway. So, I've always felt like, well, if I'm going down, I'd rather go down because I failed rather than listen to you, and you got me to fail. You know was, what I'm was there ever a time in your career, and say the difference between when you came in as a rookie versus in the in, in the growth, and obviously you enjoyed success. I believe you were the first thousand yard rusher yeah. for the Jets, and versus yeah. with, with the coach it's saying, okay, you know, if you if you didn't have that, you needed another set of eyes to maybe help you with technique or certain things. Well, now, this is where I'm being – I guess I'm talking about actually when they hand you the football, you run with it. Right. Obviously, there's things in, you know, blocking assignments and picking up and knowing th- – th- that stuff, obviously, coaches can tell you, and they will pick it up for you because they, they know the defenses and all this stuff. And, they, you know, if you see – you know, it's always most dangerous man, MDM. If you got a safety that's creeping up and you got the backer that you're supposed to block – well, if they both come, you know, obviously the linebacker is probably your man, but if they both come and the safety's coming up the middle, he'll probably get there first, so you take him, and this, mm-hmm. the, then the quarterback's on his own because you can't, you can't take everybody out. That kind of stuff, yes. That coaching, certainly there was an advantage to having coaches help you along, and, and, and 
point stuff like that out. But as, what I was getting back to, though, was really just actually being responsible and owning your job and, you know, and kind of operating on the premise that if it's not good enough, you'll find somebody else. And that's about all you can do. And that's so that's the way it kind of went down. And that's why this, you know, with this this exhibition season coming up here, it literally is nobody will tell you that because the NFL doesn't want you to know that it really it's who cares. And yet Vegas, is, there's still lines on. All oh, this my stuff. gosh. And the Raiders, I don't even the Raiders get it. How can they how do they not? They don't have any idea who's going to be on that field at the end of the game. Because we have a gambling problem. <laughs> and it's getting worse. <laughs> and it's, oh, the floodgates are opening now. So you have two games uh, tomorrow night with the, actually, the Washington, uh, the Washington New England game is the first one of the. Of, is that going to yeah, be after, t- nationally televised? Uh, that is. With only it's two on games. the NFL Network and NBC4 okay. here locally. So it is on the NFL Network. In that regard, it would be if you got cable. Then and you so you know you're going to see uh, you're going to see Ryan Fitzpatrick. You're going to see you're going to see some of the some of the uh, the first team for a very short period of time. I would imagine we'll see uh, uh, Jamin Davis, the uh, the number one number one pick for the team. See what what he looks like out there. Say so, you know get to. We'll they got three of these. And they then, have, and they then have the three of these. Season. They have three of these. Uh, so there's going to be a, a, a protracted time between the last exhibition game and the beginning of the re, of the regular season. Yeah, Labor Day falls a little later this year, so opening day for the Washington Football Team is Sunday the 12th. That previous Thursday will be the NFL kickoff season. And the other thing we got to keep an eye on, John, which is a big deal, is the vaccination rates and. Who's going to be in and who's going to be out? And you've got some stars in the league that are, you know, some serious quarterbacks that are they're not getting vaccinated. So, for, uh, per the Washington Post, as of uh, uh, yesterday, two days ago, actually now, 86 percent of Washington's football team's players have had at least one COVID shot. Now that's 28th amongst NFL teams. 59 percent are fully vaccinated. So that's pretty low. Uh, who's, the, who's the most vaccinated? Do you have any idea? Uh, I don't know offhand. Overall, 92% of NFL players have had at least one shot, and 81% are fully vaccinated. So Washington's got 59%. I was going to say they're one of the least. Well, you said they're 28, they're t- yeah, right? Yeah, they've only had one shot. So that is. Th- that is that is low, and it's something that is real, and you got to keep an eye on because the league's not playing around. And the, well, the, I don't think they should on No. I mean, normally I'm against anything the, the league says to do. But in this case, I'm thinking, maybe for once they might be right about something. <laughs> the games must go on. So. Yeah, this is, one of those, this is one of those deals for, when talking about vaccinate or not vaccinate, it's like a Supreme Court deal. I mean, on the one hand, you know, you're the employer. It's the way it's always been. Of course, nowadays, I guess there's a little bit better relationships with the Players Association. But you're going, look, and, and there are other companies around the country that are actually telling their employees, vaccinated or? Airlines as a perfect example. Yeah. Delta, somebody came out, American Airlines came out the other day and said all employees must be vaccinated. Three airlines came out this morning and said, nope, we're not doing it. What do you mean? That we're not going to have we're not, mandatory? not mandating vaccines. See, there's where it's you different go. for every industry, for every business, every walk of life, if you this will. Is why, this is why judges are, are uh, what do you call it, that are educated beyond their intelligence. The reason I say that is because hey, it's either one or the other. I want it, I don't want it. 
And then it's like, who's the best at creating an argument that makes it sound more like this is the right way to go? Because literally, this is like chicken and egg type stuff. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can see both arguments, but I also kind of run from the standpoint that you know you're being very selfish, aren't you? I mean, I don't know. Right. I think the businesses have the right, and and you have the right to not choose. I don't, you can't force anybody. But okay, right, but, 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 the, but but don't whine and cry and complain about it because you don't feel comfortable about it. Well, Res- I respect that. But here's the here's you can't the have point. it both ways. Well, here's where it gets here, bottom line. I I would say is the NFL would say, listen, you're either bo- get both vaccinations or you know go home and pound sand. Right. And guess what? We're not paying you. Right. But then they would say, well, you can't do that because it's my right. You know, I have that. That's where I said that's where you, you get the Supreme Court or you know something. You get some court involved in this. And it just depends on who. There's no. There's no right answer here. Tis true. Tis true. Where you get back to being educated beyond your intelligence. <laughs> just say yes or no. This way, that way, and that would be it. And I guess just say no would be a good time to say Rigo out.